and welcome to the Deeper Dive podcast. Each week we take a deeper look at the texts we covered in worship on Sunday, and we do that by discussing things like historical settings, literary context, the way others before us have read the text, and our reflective approach to reading that same text. This podcast is a part of Calvary's Daily Connection, a place where Calvary shares something new each day to help you grow in faith. So we hope you check that out through Calvary's app or by going to connectwithcalvary.org. Well, today we're continuing the discussion uh, on uh, prayer in the 40 Days of Prayer series, looking at... uh, Chronicles text there and um, all kinds of things to jump into. Um, yesterday it would have been uh, uh, would have been, <clears throat> I think maybe even helpful if I could have had time to have delved a bit deeper into the whole building of the temple, the whole of the conversations between David and God and Solomon and God. Um, First and Second Chronicles are almost. Uh, They've been attributed to Ezra's writing by some, anyway, um, but they really reflect a broader, almost uh, running story from Adam and Eve until uh, uh, when the temple was actually destroyed. If you go back to First Kings, if you're if you wanted to do some reading for the afternoon, go back to First Kings and do some reading there, and you'll get uh, a bit more insight into some of Solomon's faith journey as well as some of the things that uh, Solomon did, I think that God, that caused God to put these kinds of, of uh, almost requirements, almost warnings into this uh, Second Chronicles piece, because in many ways it's, it's repeated. Second Chronicles may be the repeater of what happened over in First Kings, uh, but the conversations between the dedication of the temple um, First uh, Kings three three was where Solomon, when God asked him what he wanted, Solomon asked for wisdom to lead the people, and that was counted to him as uh, as a level of righteousness. And God said, "Because you didn't ask for all of these other things, I'm going to bless you." And so, during King David's reign and during Solomon's reign, um, there was a lot of blessing and prosperity, and a lot of victory, and all those sorts of things that went into it. But um, one of the things that God said there, uh, pr- just previous uh, to Second Chronicles seven fourteen, He was talking about pestilence. He was talking about locusts. He was talking about the land drying up and warnings about that. If we go back into First Kings, um, I was uh, doing some reading there last week about uh, how uh, one of King David's issues um, was that uh, he loved foreign women. And uh, he, uh, he made a deal, an alliance with the king of Egypt and married the king's wife. And then over in... Um, um, so, you mean Solomon? Is that, or Solomon's yeah, okay. wife, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there's 12 commandments, yeah. you know. <laughs> just, for those, just for those folks who weren't at the 9 o'clock service. Yeah, just today. for those folks Randy who were... talked about the 12 commandments. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so I was going to put on Facebook, let's all guess what the next two were. <laughs> And we can't use Jesus's. We just have to come up with Randy's. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Well, you know. I may still do that. That would be fun. Uh, that okay. would be fun for somebody. Day, so. <laughs> for me. <laughs> but you know, he's talking here uh, about the warnings of what will happen, and he says, "But if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land." That's a constant message, mm-hmm. uh, and it's interesting in first. Chronicles through the end of Second Chronicles, uh, that story has played itself out over and over again. Uh, and part of the reason is that uh, 
and we're, we're, we're using God's words of calling David's faithfulness because he was faithful to God. Some of his behaviors really. Um, not so much. Not so much. Uh, and Solomon started out with that level of faithfulness to God, desired to honor him and, and build this temple and, and uh, prayed for his people and prayed for God's blessings. And uh, God said, I will, uh, my name will be attached to this temple. But and there's there's this big but there, and mm-hmm. uh, that unless you turn away from me and unless you uh, uh, do st- and one of the things that uh, I wish I could have I wish I would have picked up yesterday is one of Solomon's problems that called eventually 400 years later for the temple to be destroyed was his love of foreign women. Um, and it says over here in uh, chapter 11, uh, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides the Pharaoh's daughter, um, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told, told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And over the rest there, of chapter 11, it talks about how Solomon then, as he married, I believe it was 700 wives and 300 concubines he had. He was a very busy man. Well, he was nuts is what he was, but anyway, as he, uh, as he had all of these relationships, he began to build up in the mountains worship centers as well for all of their foreign gods. and. Um, in the Old Testament, they talk about high places and mm-hmm. Asherah poles, um, and it was places that people would go away from, in this case, Jerusalem, up into the high places, and they would have their own worship over there. And Solomon not only built a temple to honor the God of his father, David, but then as his uh, relationships with his wives grew literally in number, he began to build all kinds of worship centers all over the place. God called him into accountability for that, and uh, he says, but I will, not, I will not destroy the temple or Jerusalem in your lifetime. But over the next 400 years of those that followed uh, Solomon, including his own children, uh, that got so out of hand that uh, I think it uh, – sometimes my history fails me. I think it was Babylon that uh, initially took them over and then uh, – Persia took over Babylon, if I remember right, and destroyed the temple. Um, so these things that uh, that were done, yet God always left that door open, uh, for which I'm grateful. But we have to humble ourselves and seek His face and pray, and then turn from our wicked ways. We talked about a bit about wicked ways yesterday, and um, the wicked ways that I think that were most predominant that God was thinking about was the worship of foreign gods and the worship of false gods are simply trying to, hopefully not stretching the scripture or the truth, but trying to bring it down to relevancy today, Um, just turning our back on God, Mm -hmm. which I think Christian men and women can and do do to date, not necessarily intentionally, but almost casually. Uh, where God becomes not the center of their life or the most important thing in their life. Those verses of Scripture that say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, somehow are put on the back burner. And so then there needs to be a healing in this land as well. Um, So um, 
you know, just to be clear, when God said, um, I don't want you uh, marrying into uh, these other cultures and um, uh, to Solomon, it wasn't that um, God hated all other people. It was that these other people had practices that were um, contrary to uh, the God of Israel's practices. And when we... Um, uh, you know, when we closely associate with people and then take on their customs, um, it, you know, that's fine unless they are contrary to our God. And and I wanted to say that because um, uh, the United States has a pretty um, – uh, how do well, we we're work? a melting pot of people from all over the world. We are, and yet we are getting uh, – to the point where we're not sure we trust anybody that doesn't look like us, even if they've been with us for a very, very long time, um, generations and generations. And so I just wanted us to be careful um, as Christians to to not look at that and go, well, see, God said, um, um, and, because it's a very different thing. Um, so, you know, it. and then as you talk about um, – um, God healing nations, and if we will um, just repent of our our sins, if we humble ourselves and confess our sins, um, to look at corporate sin, and um, what do we in the United States? I mean, what's it going to take? Because individuals, we have repented of our sin and prayed for our country. Um, What's it going to take for us as a nation to recognize that? Um, and how many is it going to take? Is it going to take, you know, fifty percent of a nation humbling ourselves and and coming before God? Is it going to take? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's not an easy question to answer, but I remember on on nine eleven um, when everybody came together um, and. Um, um, it didn't matter what your political position was or your theological position. Uh, people were coming together, um, and at, at it, initially, they were coming together. We were coming together, not against someone else. <laughs> it turned that way pretty quickly, but those first—I don't know—few hours, maybe the first day. It wasn't like that. It was what just happened, and and what do we need to be afraid of? It wasn't, as I recall, at least in my circle, it wasn't who. It was what's going on. It soon became who, um, and then it's kind of gone downhill since in terms of we don't trust those people, and we don't trust those people. And we don't trust this population. You know what I mean? So, um, and I and I think that's sinful for us to to do that. Um, but I'm not sure what it's going to take for a corporate um, confession. You know what I mean? Go ahead, Isaac. Well, I, th- I think it's mm, I think it's good to remind everyone that. Uh, two things. I mean, one, the marriage thing, that marriage in the ancient world is almost unrecognizable right. to us. We mm-hmm. use the same word for what we call marriage right. 
it's not even close to what we're talking about no. in the ancient world. It's really a political alliance. Um, and uh, so there's some, <laughs> there's some things that we bring to that, to that word that are not there. And there's some things that we have no idea of that are there. Um, and so when we, when we talk about that, we, we really need to keep that you know, very much in the front of our minds that this is a very different thing that we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Um, and also when we talk about the concept of a nation, um, when, uh, especially in the Old Testament, when we're talking about the nation of Israel or other nations, um, again, that's a word that the modern, what we know as the modern nation state is a very different political entity than what we would see as a very tribal-centric, uh, quote, nation, unquote, in the ancient world. Um, lots of different dynamics, lots of different allegiances. And so when we think about the United States as a, a nation, it's a really decentralized kind of experience, um, almost to an individual level right. <laughs> in some ways. Um, but that's not the case in uh, ancient Israel and the ancient world with uh, its neighbors um, as well. And so the act of a nation in the ancient world is a very different kind of experience than the act of what we call a nation, which we can hardly act as a nation to begin with, um, <laughs> really. I, I mean, I, I'm saying that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of that way by design. And so to even use that same word is is almost troublesome in the discussion uh, because we expect the same thing from a modern nation-state that we're expecting from a tribal or clan-run um, ancient uh, experience. And so we have to make those transitions. That's good, yeah. That's good. We have to make those transitions. We have to make those, build those bridges across what it meant then and what it means now um, because uh, sometimes we put too much expectation on a modern nation state to act as a single entity, mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't put enough. Uh, so it 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 really is a uh, it's a, it's a kind of a murky mm-hmm. thing to walk through um, when we do that. I think there's certainly something in there um, for all of us, but how we do that as a group of people uh, is challenging in the 21st century, given the political structures that we have in place now, I think. So is it possible for, because I really feel like our our country has become so individualistic and so, and maybe that's fine, but so uh, greedy, to be honest. We each want our own thing, whether it's financial or um, uh, uh, opinions or laws or whatever. We want our own thing, and we're very angry and upset if it doesn't go our way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I, I look at um, all of the other um, powers of the world, and uh, for years and years and years, and all of them have fallen. And I kind of mm-hmm. feel like, all right, folks. You know, we don't get to be the favored child as we consider ourselves to be um, and act the way we're acting. Um, and, and I don't have anything to point my finger to. I just, um, um, you know, I just wonder, is it time for uh, what would that look like? Uh, and, and is it possible? Is it possible for us as a nation to say, 
we've gone too far. Of course, we're so enamored with ourselves. I'm not sure that's possible. And, and those of you that say, gosh, Debbie, you're not very patriotic. I'm, I'm really glad that I live in the U.S. and I am one of those uh, people that is privileged. Um, and so I, I'm speaking to myself here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if there is, if that's a possibility, if God is saying to us, or are we so different in the ancient world? that we can't be compared in that way at all, you know? No, I think there's, I think there are always comparisons to be made with humans from any time in history. I think uh, it it just takes some uh, finessing when you get into the complexities of these kinds of differences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think there's, it doesn't mean there's not something to be had there. I think it just makes it, I think we're in, incredibly, we have to be incredibly um, uh, slow and generous in our, in our reading mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when it comes to things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do in general, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, it, but it's even harder to do in this one because the, the stakes are so high. Mm-hmm. Um, they were certainly high for Israel, but we also, I think, feel in our gut they're high for all of us as well, however you want to mm-hmm. define the us part, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. global, whether it's national, international, local, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I think the, the interesting thing about our current context is that uh, that, that kind of amorphousness, that, that non-rigidity of communal life has provided... Um, it, it's provided a place for lots of good things to grow and flourish, mm-hmm. and it equally provides some spaces for not good things to grow and, sure. and flourish as well. And, um, you know, that, that the decision to have those things grow or not grow is a decentralized decision. Yeah. And so to speak of it, you know, univocally, you know, with, with one kind of traje- trajectory is... Um, it's almost impossible, right? I think. I think the closest thing um, to that, to a uh, a national confession, kind of, is the Me Too movement. I think men, I, and I've heard Randy talk about this. I had, I don't talk to a lot of men about this, but have said, I hate what we, even though he personally, you personally, Randy, have not put women through this, but you will say, I hate what we as men have done to women. Um, and um, there seems, I'm not a guy, so I'm not sure I can speak to this, um, the, the feeling of being sorry for what others have done and recognizing that that is not okay again. You know what I mean? Um, is that is that like a national confession? Is that like us coming to something that says, "Oh, this has been okay, or at least it's been swept under the rug, and now it is we will not accept it anymore. We are we are sorry for this. I um, my, I look at this from lots of different levels. And of course, I've had a number of different seats to see this right. from. Um, 
I've watched the church, and let me just talk about the church. I, I talk about Methodist and Baptist most of the time because Methodist and Baptist backgrounds is part of who I am. So I'm going to talk about the church because that's where most of my life has been invested. And I've watched the church change in behaviors, how many times it was a male-dominated place for a long time. Um, and so I'm not messing with the sisters. I'm just going to mess with the men. But I've watched how we have treated poor behavior, whether that's been affairs, whether that's been abuse, uh, either sexual abuse, abuse of power. Um, I've watched how the church has changed, even in the years that since I've been in ministry. Yeah, me too. Um, ministers who uh, who created or who not created who were engaged in a moral failure of some some form or another uh, and many times it had to do with uh, uh, folks in their churches that they engaged in an affair with uh, or into a deeper relationship with uh, early on they were simply moved to another appointment rather mm-hmm. than held deeply accountable even to the place um, I had a, uh, one church in, in my district who had had back-to-back appointments of pastors who had had moral problems, moral issues, even to the point where that uh, uh, pastors were appointed across conference lines to a, another annual conference mm-hmm. to give them a fresh start. Well, all that really did was give them a fresh place to operate. Um, and so, but and I've watched us go from that kind of level of irresponsibility um, to the point now where if there's a whisper, uh, somebody's suspended until it's sorted out. And that may be exactly where that needs to be. Uh, I'm not sure. It seems a little bit unfair at times. Uh, You make sure you don't really aggravate anybody in a church because they can file a complaint at the drop of a hat and then you're assumed guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that's the way it needs to be to compensate for the behaviors of the past. But yeah, yeah, there are times when I'm just, well, most of the time right now with all the, let's see, we're on the air, all of the stuff that's coming out that I'm embarrassed uh, about what other guys have done. And I've wondered to myself, have I ever sat in a conversation that uh, I should have said and called somebody out on and didn't. I mean, I don't remember that, um, but somehow or another this has been allowed to get to a rampant level. Um, I don't know how rampant it is in the church, but it's there. We're certainly not, haven't been excluded from those kinds of things. but I just know I have very little tolerance of guys who get themselves in trouble, um, who try to lie out of it. And of course, I mean, we can pretend, but that, that those stories are filling the pages of the papers every day with people from the lowest rung to the highest rung. And I think that if we don't hold folks accountable, that uh, that in many ways we are creating a culture in this nation. I, I can't do anything about Russia. I'm not sure what I can do about the United States some days, but creating a culture in this nation where somehow uh, it's okay and it's not okay at any point in any level. So that's why I wonder if that is close to a national confession of 
Well, Not everybody is going to confess to God. But. No, I, I was going to say, I, I think the... I mean, at the heart of the American experiment is to not necessarily say anything with one voice. It's to simultaneously right. protect the tyranny of the majority and the tyranny of the oligarchy or the minority to speak for the majority. And so at some point, this sliding scale between uh, the small group uh, having power over the large group or the large group having power over the small group uh, tends to, to dissipate and to say that's not what it's about. It's not about um, saying either of these things with unanimity, mm-hmm. you know, which is what I think a, a confession requires at some point, is to say if we're going to say this as a group, then we all have to agree <laughs> as a group to and say do you that. Not, do you not think that this is, you don't think this is an agreement? Oh, no. I mean, really? there are plenty of plenty of people who are pushing back against that. I think unrightly so, but um, yeah, there's no, no, I, we could go down the street here and wow. <laughs> we could find you five people, five people who, you know, probably would say, um, no, I don't agree with this. I don't think it's that bad or I think this is overrun. Wow. I, I'm not going to repent for that. I didn't do that. Wow. Wow, I guess I, I know that I live in a bubble in terms of my own little private bubble, but I thought that that was pretty broadly despised and, um, you know. Um, well, it's interesting. It's interesting if it's despised. Why it's despised? Um, for somebody to say, um, I got caught. I'm sorry because I and I I just have a particular instance in my mind. I'm sorry that I got caught. Okay, and so yes, now I agree this was the wrong thing to do, but it's only because I got caught. I'm 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 also <laughs> I'm also wondering sometimes if some of the support for this is trying to cover up um, the sins of those who are speaking in hopes that somebody else will not uh, will not step forward and point a finger, uh, yeah. which is sometimes the way that it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I was just reading this morning, and I don't remember which president. Oh, I know it was a pre, it was uh, the owner of one NFL football team commenting on the owner of another NFL football team, and the one owner was accused of sex creating an environment or being a part of an environment in their organization uh, that uh, was uh, sexually biased and all kinds of things. And now the other NFL owner is saying, well, I'm not so sure that we didn't act in haste judgment and he wished he wouldn't have uh, uh, confessed what he confessed or said what he said because there may not be real proof for it. And I'm thinking, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Is our accomplishment or our our goal, and this comes back to, and I wanted to, to jump into this yesterday, but I just knew I didn't have time. What does it mean, the healing of our land? Right. And what does a healed land look like? Okay, for the children of Israel, a healed land for them looked like the land when King David's time, when they were winning every battle, when they were prosperous. King Solomon had, because of his power and place, he had uh, kings from all kinds of other countries coming to him and bringing him gifts of gold and silver, and uh, the stuff he made out of that was unreal. Um, 
Is that the reason uh, we're apologizing, or is it because we really feel this is wrong? Uh, somebody said to me after first service this morning, don't forget to include power and part of the pieces that's dissuading or, or tainting or bringing a measure of darkness to our country because that power, um, I'm trying to think, it seems to me it was something along the lines that I heard one time is, um, and hopefully this won't offend anybody, but sex brings power and power and money brings sex. Some combination of that, and that's not quite right, but it, it was, I mean, it was all about power being the things yeah. that are driving, whether it's money or whether it's intimacy or, well, intimacy, that's another yeah. whole. Um, but those kinds of things, um, it's who has what you want right. and the power they will use or think they will use to influence you to get what they want. So right. I don't know. Right. Yeah. You know, I do think it's, uh, you know, at this juncture in the, in the conversation, uh, I think it's healthy to say this is not the end of the story here, that um, the temple itself is reimagined in yeah. the New Testament, yeah. mm-hmm. not as... Uh, even linked with with a specific plot of land, but right. with a specific, uh, you know, human embodiment, mm-hmm. and so the shift again from uh, tribal and nation to individual is not an American thing um, exclusively. You know, it it is a, a Jesus thing, mm-hmm. and um, so in all of these discussions. Uh, the ability of the state to, the state or the nation, however you want to translate that, to uh, enact the um, flourishing of the life of God yeah. moves. Right. It it moves. Right. I, I can't say it any clearer than that, right. I think, and I don't think, I think Jesus is saying that as well, right. is that it moves from the responsibility of a nation to do that to the responsibility of you mm-hmm. yeah you whoever's listening you mm-hmm. sitting across the table you on the couch over there you it's it is a uh, pleasantly decentralized enterprise mm-hmm. and and we sometimes don't want to participate that we want to try to figure out how to centralize it again and go that's somebody else's responsibility right. that, yeah that's yes. yours that's yours that's the bishops that's the preachers mm-hmm. that's the committee persons um, you know, whatever. No, yeah. it's yours. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. all there is. <laughs> that's. I was thinking about that you know, as Randy was preaching. Yeah. I was thinking, we all have responsibility. We all do, and that that is the that is the the shadow side of the temple analogy being placed inside of you. Yeah, is that you have. Christ in you, but you also have the responsibility of Christ the prophet right. in you right. as well to right. speak against these things in your own life and in the lives of those around you. Right. And so can we say it univocally together as one as one voice? Not in that old sense. No. Yeah. yeah. But in a new sense, yes. But everyone won't be saying that, you know. Right. That's the thing. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And that kind of, I mean, there is so much more to talk about on this. I mean, Randy didn't even get to all of the, as I was as I was looking at his bulletin notes from yesterday, I said, oh, Randy, you didn't even get to a lot of this. We ought to talk about this, and we're out of time to do that. But that does lead us to 
next week in terms of uh, the hope that we have um, through the resurrection. But we're not at the resurrection yet. We haven't gone through the crucifixion. So folks, if you're listening before Thursday and Friday, please come to those services or go to a service somewhere because that's I just you can't celebrate the, the resurrection until you understand the crucifixion. So. True. Uh, well, we thank you for uh, listening today. And if uh, you've got questions or want to add something to the discussion, you can head over to uh, the website or Facebook email. Uh, you'll you'll find a way to find us. The Internet's good like that. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a deeper dive into uh, something about the resurrection, I would assume. I think we'll talk about the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, we've decided that. Something like that. So until then, grace and peace.